Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. When you think of a black voice, what comes to mind? This? That we have never been just a collection of individuals or a collection of red states and blue states. We are and always will be the United States of America. Or maybe a voice like this. I am a mother. I am a mother to four black children in America. What about someone who sounds like this? When I was growing up, it was very rare to see people who looked like me. I was um, one of very few black children in my school. From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle, Stories of Languages and the People Who Speak Them. I'm Kavita Pillay. This is part three of our series about speech, what we hear and what we think we hear, how our perceptions can take us down the wrong path, the stories we believe about different kinds of voices, and the ones we tell about our own. Today, Shiko Teori takes us on a linguistic journey of Blackness and identity. I'm a first-generation American born of immigrant parents from Kenya. My mom and dad both moved here to receive an education, and they've been able to achieve their version of the American dream as professors. My mom teaches food and nutrition, and my dad teaches accounting. And of course, public speaking and interpersonal communication is crucial in their professions, and my parents have been doing this for decades, but my mom had some challenges at first. When I came to the U.S., people speak with a lot of power, with a lot of loud voice. I was used to speaking low. She spoke too softly for Americans, and specifically for the Americans she met at her first teaching job at Northern Kentucky University. And so they say, what did you say? I hate that. (laughs) My mom's laughing now, but she really did hate being told to speak up. As the years went by, her Kenyan accent also evolved, so much so that when she returns to Kenya, people there notice she sounds different. I don't like that because it makes me stand out. If you're sounding like an American or sounding, your accent is like British, they equate that with, oh, this person has traveled and has lived among Americans or British. They must be of a different class. They must have more money. So if you go to the marketplace and open your mouth to start to purchase something, once they hear your accent, your price goes up. And for that reason, whenever I'm visiting family in Kenya and we're at a market, I just keep my mouth shut. But when people there do hear me speak, they automatically revoke my Kenyan card and say I sound like... The whites, or wazungus, as we call them here. That's my cousin Martha. My first impression of Shiko's accent when she spoke was very impressive and very different from how we pronounce words here in Kenya. She's probably the first person I've ever heard describe my accent in that way. And we struggle to communicate at times, especially when I would say particular words. I could not understand the words until I had to ask my sister who was at the university to come listen and interpret. More like interpret, culturally speaking. These American words I was saying, they had no currency in Kenya. Growing up in the U.S. gave me a dual sense of identity. 
I was Kenyan at home, eating food like ugali, chapati, wearing kitenges, and occasionally mixing my mother tongue kikuyu with English. But when I left the house, I was American. And like my mother, I too stuck out like a sore thumb. First, I was one of a handful of black kids, and second, I had to help out with pronunciation of my name again and again. But when it came to the way I spoke, I fit right in. The Cincinnati neighborhood I grew up in was white and suburban, and we would occasionally mingle with the few other African families in the area. The only interaction I had with American kids who looked like me was at church. The black kids there expected me to speak something like this. I won this bronze damn Olympic medal in Beijing, China for individual synchronized swimming. I bet you didn't even know that. And honestly, I'll never sound like Nene Leakes in Glee, even though the show is set in Ohio. I'm going to say one thing to you, Sam Evans, and I'm only going to say it to you once. If you pee in my pool, I will kill you. For some reason, the white kids never flinched or made comments about the way I spoke. Maybe because I sounded like them. But the black kids? They were very vocal about it. Like you're an Oreo. My college friend Allison Johnson says right from when I opened my mouth, the others thought of me as different. Like I was one of those... Black people who talk proper. Wait, what? They kind of think of you as an Oreo. Like, basically black on the outside, but white on the inside just because you talk proper. I guess, like, the tone of voice, um, your certain word choices. It wasn't like I was especially proud of the way I spoke. Of course, I was proud to be Black and Kenyan, but in some ways, I wasn't sure of my linguistic identity. During my high school years, I attended an international boarding school in Kenya. There were plenty of people from all over the world, but... I was the Black American who sounded white. I was the Oreo. After high school, I returned to the U.S. I attended a historically Black university in Alabama. It was sprawling with Jamaican accents, French accents, Southern accents, you name it. And suddenly, my very narrow understanding of Blackness was challenged. I was forced to reckon with the stereotypical presumption I had about the way Black people spoke. It's a stereotype that's been perpetuated in this country for centuries. Truthfully, in the history of the United States, most Black people have been isolated in Black communities and most white people have been isolated in white communities. And so the communities diverged in their ways of speaking. This is Nicole Holliday. I needed to ask an expert about my speech. And Nicole's an expert, a professor of linguistics at the University of Pennsylvania. She says it's hardly surprising that I sound the way I do. If you sounded really what people's stereotype of an African-American speaker is, it would be weird. Like, how did you come out that way? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Nicole also says the fact that I'm young and a woman who grew up in a middle-class area has a heavy influence on the way I speak. It makes it harder for people to identify my race without seeing the color of my skin. She also says it's typical that people like me, kids of immigrants, don't interact all that much with people who speak what's considered Black American English. I ask her, what is Black American English anyway? Nicole says it all goes back to the fact that Black people didn't speak English when they were brought to America. 
in the conditions of slavery where they were acquiring English in this, you know, kind of unusual way, they weren't being like taught it in schools and they were getting input from all of these different Europeans and they had their first language. So their first languages were being influenced by the English that they were speaking. So the way that black people were speaking in the United States has always been different than the way that most white people were speaking. And there's a lot of overlap between Black American English and Southern U.S. English. Most enslaved Africans lived in the South, but later, Black Americans started moving elsewhere across the country. This was the time of the Great Migration between 1916 and 1970. And of course, the way they spoke evolved. No wonder people with those backgrounds speak differently than the way I do. And really, like, we are carrying around our ancestral experiences as well as our personal experiences in the language that we speak too. And that's sort of something that you're, you're getting at here. The dimensions of Blackness are something I learned to embrace and celebrate once I started college. I came to understand that Blackness meant more than American Blackness. I realized it included me, the child of immigrant parents. I met other students who grew up in American suburbs and learned to accept the fact that I didn't have to speak a certain way to be considered Black. We were Black enough. I was Black enough. It doesn't mean that, you know, it's a problem if you don't sound the way that people expect you to. It just means that you had a different experience. For a long time, I was unsure of how burdensome or beneficial the way I spoke would be for my future. Would it advance me professionally, but isolate me socially? Would I only be accepted in certain circles and excluded from others? But after college, I realized that the weight of my linguistic identity may not be all that significant. It's not an accomplishment to speak African-American English, and it's not an accomplishment to speak mainstream English. People just talk the way they talk as a function of their experiences. (laughs) And we should really be okay with all of that. And maybe people are beginning to believe that notion. Maybe they're becoming more open to the idea that Black people are not a monolith, that we don't all speak the same way. I think we're seeing a little bit of that now as the Black Lives Matter movement continues its momentum. There are more calls for the uplifting of Black voices to share their beliefs, their experiences. But yet, when this happens, I still hear people I know react by saying, oh, they're so articulate, or wow, they speak so well. You know, what you'll hear people say sometimes is things like, oh, you think just because I'm Black, I should sound like I'm ghetto. Well, this idea that there's a problem with sounding identifiably African-American is just racism. It has nothing to do with the language itself. If they have that preconceived prejudice, it doesn't matter how you say things or what you say, they're always going to complain. My mom, like me, has learned to embrace her own accent. She's still teaching in the Midwest, but now she's no longer conflicted about the way she speaks. She kicks off each semester saying this to her new students. My accent is different. I'm not from Southern Indiana. (laughs) I know that whoever listens to me speak understands exactly what I'm saying. That's when I realize it's, it's an asset. It's it's what makes me me. I have to agree with her. The distinct way in which I speak, different from my mom and different from many other Black Americans, is what makes me me. 
Shiko Theori is a producer with the public radio show Here and Now. After the break... Today in Los Angeles, it's 85 degrees. The voices coming out of your Say smart speaker. Woo-hoo. Oh, aren't we organized? <laughs> if you really want to understand immigration in America, there is only one podcast for you. It's called Tempest Tossed. The new season, Entry Denied, is about what's been happening during the Trump administration. You'll hear comprehensive discussion of things like the construction of the border wall, the Muslim ban, the dramatic reductions in the U.S. refugee program, the rejected asylum seekers at the border. These dramatic changes in immigration policy are discussed by host Alex Zelenikov of The New School in New York City and veteran NPR reporter Deb Amos. Helping them place all this into historical and political context are a series of very well-informed guests. People like New York Times reporters Michael Shear and Julie Hirschfeld Davis, The New Yorker's Jonathan Blitzer, the Obama administration's Cecilia Munoz, and some recipients of DACA. New episodes of Entry Denied are released weekly on Tuesdays. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, visit EntryDeniedPodcast.com. I keep thinking about this thing that Nicole Holiday said. We are carrying around our ancestral experiences as well as our personal experiences in the language that we speak. We're carrying around the voices of the people who came before us. What does that mean for the future? A future with more Siri's and Alexa's? Siri, what does it mean now? You got me. In April, Stanford came out with a study showing that voice recognition tools by the tech giants, including Apple, Amazon, and Google, misidentified words spoken by Black people at a far higher rate than those said by white people. Which means that Black Americans could face even more hurdles when speech recognition is used in other settings, like a courtroom or the workplace. And Black people are less likely to benefit from a voice assistant like Siri or Alexa. But Siri and Alexa aren't the only voice assistants in town. Your toast is ready. Morgan Freeman is now the voice behind Jarvis, which is Mark Zuckerberg's personal voice assistant. Issa Rae has also been a celebrity voice assistant for Google. And right now I'm using Issa's voice, which is pronounced Issa, not Issa. And before her, it was John Legend. He would probably tell you he don't want to brag, but he'll be the best assistant you ever had. Samuel L. Jackson was the first celebrity voice for Amazon. By the way, his voice came in PG and R-rated versions in case you didn't want him telling your kids to go the f*** to sleep. Hello, boys and girls. It's been a long day and you are due for some sleepy time. So brush those teeth and get in your jammies. Be a good youngling and go to bed. Morgan Freeman, Issa Rae, John Legend, Samuel L. Jackson. There's a few common denominators here. The tech giants are battling hard to get voice assistants into our lives. And recruiting celebrities to lend their voices makes a voice assistant an easier sell. I'm more likely to forget that Google is collecting all kinds of info on me when Issa Rae is at my beck and call, making me laugh. Hey, Tiger. You can still call me your Google Assistant. Now I just sound extra fly. (laughs) So is it just a coincidence that all of these celebrity assistants are Black? Maybe. But how about this? In 2019, 
Adobe surveyed 1,000 digital device owners on the celebrity voices that they would like as an option. And four out of the top six, The Rock, Will Smith, Chris Rock, and Oprah, are also black. Or in the case of The Rock, half black, half Samoan. Yes, they're all household names. They all have distinct voices. And yes, a digital assistant is sort of a tech demigod, all-knowing and omnipresent. But we don't call them demigods. We call them assistants. Why do so many people want the world's most famous Black entertainers to assist them, to serve them, silent until spoken to? The tech giants seem to be doing a great job of commodifying Black voices, at least a handful of them. But if you're a Black person who owns a smart speaker, the minute you deviate from a white speech pattern, the voice recognition software gets more and more clueless. You know, our goal is one day to get the right accents, languages, and dialects right globally. Get the right accents, languages, and dialects one day. That's Sundar Pichai, the head of Google. So what's the problem now? Why hasn't it happened yet? The technology is, is based around big data. Ian McLaughlin is a professor at the Singapore Institute of Technology. His research area is artificial intelligence for speech. So anywhere where we see the words artificial intelligence, that's backed up by a big data approach, which means large amounts of recordings. These recordings are needed to make models, and models require five things. Big data scientists talk about the five Vs that they require in their databases. Volume. Velocity. Variety. Veracity. And value. That first one, volume, is really important. Volume is the foundation of big data, and it helps explain why the current systems are not adept at interpreting a variety of accents. There just isn't the volume of language. There isn't enough recording there to get a good statistical grasp of the features in their speech. If you can't get a good statistical grasp, you can't model it. The data also needs to be updated frequently, which is the second V, velocity. It has to take a lot of different forms. That's variety. And it needs to be of good quality, which is the fourth V, veracity. And value, that's the ability to take this ocean of data and turn it into a successful business. After all, these are companies that are building products that learn. The more we use them, the more they learn. And companies have little incentive to build products for populations that speak smaller languages or that do not have the dominant accent. Remember the research that found voice assistants are more likely to misidentify words spoken by Black Americans than those who are white? It comes down to this. The data used to train these voice recognition systems comes largely from white people. This matters more than ever because voice-activated technology is becoming omnipresent. And that's frightening for a few reasons. But when it comes to language, we've been here before. We've been scared about what technology might do to the way we speak. I remember when the World Wide Web first came into being in about 1994, almost everything that was on the World Wide Web was either in English or Japanese at that point, but largely English. Robert Miller is a professor in linguistics and Scottish language at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And people said, this is terrible for all the other languages, particularly the small-scale ones. But as it's turned out, it's actually acted to the liberation of these languages quite often, because you don't need to be in Brittany to speak Breton anymore. That turned out to be true for languages. So what about accents? Robert Miller is a Scot, 
And as it turns out, the Scottish accent is one that voice recognition technology has trouble understanding. Voice recognition technology and a lift in Scotland. As in this super popular British comedy sketch about a lift, an elevator with a voice assistant. You ever tried voice recognition technology? No, they don't do Scottish accents. The sketch ends with the frustrated characters still stuck in an elevator. You need to try an American accent. Rallying for Scottish independence. You have not selected a floor. This sketch happens to be from the BBC, and the BBC seems to be paying attention to the call for voice assistants with more nuanced accents. I'm new, so I can't do everything. This is Beeb, the BBC's voice assistant, which is currently in beta. But you can ask me to play any of the BBC's radio stations, shows, and music mixes. Beeb doesn't have the classic British accent, or what's known as standard BBC English. It's more of a generic northern British accent. And at least to British ears, this accent is considered warm and friendly. But it's not really an accent that anyone speaks with in Britain. Why not give it a try by saying, OK, Beeb, update me. Whether we know it or not, you and I are carrying around the voices of the past. Our voice assistants revealing how we might speak in the future? They know a lot about us already. But when it comes to how we speak, our voice assistants still have a lot to learn. Hey, Google and Siri and Alexa, if you're listening, the stakes are too high for you to screw this up. Hmm. Is there something else I can help with? That's our show for today. Our sound designer is Tina Toby. We had editing help from Julia Barton. Special thanks to Richard Bell, Lauren Daly, Mukul Devichand, Lydia Emanuelidou, and Jeremy Helton. Subtitle is a proud member of the Hub & Spoke Audio Collective. Another Hub & Spoke podcast is Rumble Strip. This is a podcast that focuses on the everyday, not the extraordinary, not the you'll never believe this type story, just, for the most part, ordinary people. This is the great skill of host Erica Heilman. Within minutes of introducing us to one of her neighbors or friends, we really feel a connection with them. Recently, Erica's been talking with people, young and old, about the pandemic and how they're handling it. The podcast is Rumble Strip. Check it out along with all of the Hub & Spoke shows at hubspokeaudio.org. Thanks for listening to Subtitle. Please don't forget to rate and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.